This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to the program as we're swinging open a kind of a reddish kind of shirt, two button, and of course the gray fedora. With me is Barack Richardson, and I'm coming from Kitchener, Ontario. And I'm wearing a t-shirt with blue and green, and I'm a white individual in a power wheelchair, again, coming from Kitchener, Ontario. I should really say um, maroon, I guess. My shirt's more like kind of, sorry, kind of a rust color. I'm sorry. I I think I said more of a red, more of a rust kind of color. So that is my hard thing to remember, Brock, where you say, say, oh, I've got to remember to not look away and, and stuff like that. Mine is, what color was I wearing again? Being low vision and on top of that color blind. When I was a kid, that was the big test, right? Oh, you can see a little? Because of course, I. oh, you're blind. No, no, I can see a little bit. Oh, well, what color is my shirt? Oh, I'm colorblind. Yeah, sure, you can see a bit. <laughs> Those little, little tests from people when we were the kids on the playground. I, I had ah, to do- yes. I had to do a little bit of a, as you were doing your intro, I had to look down and go, oh, since he's doing a clothing, what am I wearing again? And then, yeah, it was like, I had to remember because, you know, you put it on early in the morning and it's like, what am I doing? at (laughs) Well, and it's one of those things, folks, we've been trying to do to be a little more inclusive out there with uh, those who are especially new to us and maybe a little curious and like to know a little bit more about uh, who's talking to you and who who we are, are, what's a little bit behind the voices you're hearing. We'd like to welcome in our gardener to talk with us as we uh, now have the fortune of doing every Friday on the program. Sue Kearney, hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Oh, Always wonderful to have you, but <laughs> this is one of those days in the wintertime where the <laughs> furthest thing from people's mind often is the garden. Or maybe it's first and foremost because they're saying, oh, gosh, I can't wait till it warms up and I'm saying, get in the garden and get away from this cold. Wow. Yes, uh, you, yes, yes you, you can have one or the other. <laughs> exactly. Just That's the whole thing either way. Yep. Those There's no middle ground, right? Flowers. So, Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get those dancing in your head. What is it, the Christmas time? It's the sugar plums. But today, speaking of that, and the best thing to do, we always say, oh, it's a nice, cold, bright day for those mm-hmm. who can look out and enjoy it. But there's also yeah. something else you can do. We're going to talk about armchair gardening. What What is yeah. this? Well, it, it is when you can um, cozy up in a, um, a nice, comfortable armchair and uh, either either daydream about the um you know, do that daydream about the the flowers and uh, what was in your garden uh, what you would like to put into your garden uh, because th- that takes a lot of planning and this is a oh, good yeah. time to do it because you're not doing any work you're actually just sitting there and you can think you can put some ideas out there to um to yourself write some notes i i tend to write a lot of notes uh, I do my notes in Braille. I also have electronic Braille um, writer that I, um, I that I use, so I can delete things as I go along. And um, when I when I do my notes, I I will just say, okay, this this particular day uh, I found such and such in the garden. It did very well. And then you go back to what was the weather like that day? Um, mm-hmm. Talking about weather. And that is one of the most important things because some things now 
um, don't do so well in uh, certain gardens because we, we tend to have a lot of heat. We uh, have dry, um, dry spells. I don't remember uh, so many dry spells in, in the summer. So you, talk, you think about drought, uh, certain things. I do know that my my lettuce, my my kale, it all went very early this year. It just mm-hmm. it didn't do well at all. It did come back in the fall, but those are those are little notes that I've I've put down. Little things like that that help you change your garden, help you not waste um, uh, plants or waste seeds or waste money on that because you want to keep looking at that budget too. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that that is some of the stuff. We were talking earlier with Grant pertaining the fact that so much vegetables Mm -hmm. primarily are really going up. And we've talked about floods. We talked Mm -hmm. about uh, the droughts around so that it's not always. And they're saying, of course, farmers, well, the money's not coming back to us. And a lot of it Mm -hmm. probably being the transportation and Mm -hmm. and everyone in between getting paid to get to our shelves for for distribution to us. So who who do you pass that on to? But when you're sitting there on, on the, I mean, they've got big problems in their sense of how much they're they're trying to move and how much food we're talking Mm -hmm. but when you're doing that sitting back in the armchair taking it easy thinking yeah the lettuce was not good this year because what what do you find you mostly do in that being creative and thinking next or this spring I'm going to do this or this fall I'm going to do this to change that potential outcome Mm -hmm. I will plant it earlier uh, I will. I, I did not start it early in in the house, um, so that was another thing because we. I, I do know that that May it was cold, and then it turned very hot very quickly. I, I it turned around within a day, I think almost. Yeah. Uh, yes. If I look back at my notes, it was very. It turned very hot. So th- those are things I will probably do that a little bit less of of the, the the greens this year, or I will do them differently. Maybe find a different location in the garden. That's another. Uh, another mm. thing that I have been looking at, because I, I've wanted to bring in more um, native plants, which are, are not necessarily vegetables. Uh, they they could be wildflowers or something that I I don't have to tend a tremendous amount of of time with. So not always vegetables, but those are those are things that I'm I've been looking at, and sometimes when you look around like think sitting in the in your armchair and you're thinking oh what what grew there this year what maybe can I change I have a tremendous amount of of perennials I started to go to perennials they were easier Uh, they come back almost every year sometimes you have to reseed so I was going to a lot of perennials and I'm probably going to stick with a, a lot of perennials rather than putting a lot of uh, different seeds in, you know, in, in planters this year. Um, it just, it didn't work out. The planters just didn't work out with, with certain things. Well, that's, and that's okay. That's, that's how you learn to garden. How much time, Susan, if you were to, you know, give me a, um, a rough estimate, how much time do you spend in the armchair literally thinking uh, you know, in your mind of what's good, what's bad. Like, as I sit here, I'm thinking of, you know, the things you used to do in school when you brainstormed and you'd say on the mm-hmm. left side, good, uh, in the middle, maybe, and yeah. uh, on the right side, yeah. bad. How much time do you literally say to yourself, 
okay, in order to have a successful year or a potential successful year, I need to spend X amount of time sitting in my armchair and really thinking about it. Um, going through my notes and sit, um, actually thinking about it, going through my notes, uh, I I can probably spend a good um, day or more, um, and and I don't do it all at once, um, but a, a, a good day, a good six seven hours uh, a week doing it. That um, wow, it, because it it is a, it is a lot of work. It's fun work, and I don't consider it work because I, I I really like it. So it's it's not really work. But you do have to to um, to do that um, in, in order to. Um, save yourself a lot of time, a lot of energy. Um, as I say, you know, not have things thrown out um, because that that can happen. That can happen very quickly. Uh, so it's yes, about six, about six, maybe seven hours a week, and that is just on my outdoor garden. My indoor garden. Um, this time of year, I do go through a, a lot of things too because I I will be wondering. Um, how to repot some of my my plants that are indoors so yes it and it's fun it's it's a nice time to spend in an armchair and do you find like if you don't hit that uh, let's call it threshold just for correct terminology Mm -hmm. if you don't hit that threshold of timing do you find when you look back next year you say oh maybe i didn't spend enough time in my armchair and if I did and thought about this and that, maybe this would have gone better or worse. Do you find that? Um, yeah, yes. In fact, and and that's when I uh, I, I tend to overbuy plants and and put um, yes and, and and buy them because then you say, oh my god, I didn't I, I didn't really um, think about that particular area, but it needs something. And then you know, and then I go to a plant sale, um, which is a good thing. Except uh, often I I will overbuy just to fill some fill something up. I I have a tendency to do that, or I'll find an amazing plant that I've never grown before, which which I really like. I don't. Um, and, and, and then I'll, I'll bring it home. I'll try it. If I like it, I will try it again the next year if I can keep its seeds or its roots or what, whatever I need to, to keep in order to grow, to grow it if it's successful. And hopefully it will be. So by the time the garden show happens in March in Toronto and you have yes. thought all your, done all your armchair, you're excited to get out there, you've done all your armchair oh, yeah. gardening, the garden yeah. show shows up. Voila. Yes. Now you come back home. How much revamping yes. time do you allow yourself before you're out uh, there and, and changing all the things or a, 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 a bunch of the things you had planned? Oh, yes, because some of the designs are really interesting or you get a really fascinating idea or somebody is selling something absolutely amazing that you think, wow, I could, I could use that. I could use that to plant seeds or I could use that to do for, um, for cuttings. So you, you get that. Yes, that, that uh, for, for me, it's, oh, it's, it's like being in a candy shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I love that show and, that, and yeah. any, kind of, um, any kind of plant sale. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. So, yes, then I, then I have to turn around and say, oh, well, I got that, <laughs> and, and that's going to need a place. That's going to need a place. Right. What kind of place? So then you got to do the research on the plant, figure it out, <laughs> and uh, it's all fun. Well, so here's fun. the solution. They have to move that event to February, maybe January even, <laughs> so that you don't have to do so much revamping because you'll just come out with ideas. We'll talk to you uh, next week, Sue. 
Uh, she climbs back up into that armchair to get back to figuring, ciphering out the garden in her armchair gardening. Uh, we get our gardening chats here on Kelly and Rumya on Fridays at this time with Sue Kearney. So please return. We'll talk to her again next week. Up next, though, the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Huey. We do that every week around now as well on our Friday. Brock and Kelly will return. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to the program. Kelly McDonald here. And I have to tell you, folks, the countdown is on. It's go time, ladies and gentlemen, for you to enter the Dream Big Contest. The contest closes February 8th. Wow. Mere days away, folks. So enter now for a chance to win a Temper Pro Adapt mattress. If you want some uh, rule information and that opportunity to apply, folks, you go to uh, ami.ca slash krcontest. You got to do it if you haven't done it yet, folks. A lot of people in there, but you still have a darn good chance of, of uh, winning this. And we want to be able to give it away to you. We will be, of course, announcing the winner next week here on the program. So definitely get in there, get registered, and let's have some fun because it's always a lot of fun to give something away. Brock Richardson, he's over there. He's in Kitchener, Ontario, joining us on the program today. Man, what a great thing. Kick off a great show like this and uh, have a great contest like that to, uh, yeah. you know, culminate the beginning of this uh, wonderful venture. And something we do on Fridays, as we often say, talk about staples, is Ryan Huey with the Chatty Bookshelf. Let's bring him on. Who knew? An entire library could fit inside your pocket. I'm Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Ryan, how are you? I'm cold, guys. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having <laughs> me again. <laughs> I'm cold as well. I Whenever I'm doing whatever role I'm in here, I always have the window cracked open just ever so slightly because if i don't it gets really hot in here and man am i feeling the cold um here today so i'm right there with you i feel like i should be putting a toque over my headset but i won't you know what you're a little bit more wild than me because uh i even i go near the window and i'm like oh the, 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 the cold's getting in and it's, it's i always make i push it close uh... more just to make sure but guys you know what i just heard uh again and uh, i meant to touch base on this uh last week but kelly uh the contest what a better place to listen to an audiobook than in a new bed like that would be oh, great yes. i think uh, i would love to maybe fall asleep to some audiobooks in that new bed so uh get in there and um you know enter as much as you can and let's let's hope uh you know when, when the winner announces it's a, to an audiobook listener or an audiobook lover just like us uh, well you that's your friday gig isn't it Ryan? because really that's when ryan really advocates for the four-day work week so he's monday to thursday you know friday in getting ready for the weekend, entertaining audiobooks in bed. That's that's the way to go, right? Doesn't get better than that unless it's a long weekend. <laughs> you betcha. So what wacky stories has the internet brought us this week in the world 
of audiobooks. There's never, ever a shortage, but I had to touch base on this one because I think it affects a lot of us. So we're going to be talking about uh, digital media rights and access. So um, I don't know where my phone is, so I apologize for that. We might be hearing that for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was on uh I thought it was on mute, but no, it's okay. I, I, that's my, that's all me, guys. But no, so it's it's really interesting this story and how it kind of came about because um, I just thought that you know libraries kind of had access and they were good to go. But there's uh, you know a lot going on there. But what do you guys think about when you when you think when I say the word libraries? I get you. I bet you guys have some fond memories like myself, right? Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. And even for me, even using the lending of audiobooks or, you know, when I was a kid and I tried to go through and read print books the best I can and, and stuff like that. But I know for myself, I remember going down and picking up my bag of, of audiobooks years ago. And I'd hang on to that bag until they started giving me the calls saying, you know, you're going to go into collections unless you return those. And, <laughs> and they'd get back there pretty quick. Brock, you? Um. In school, I always thought of libraries as like research, you know, the teacher would give you a book and, you know, or, or a, a project and say, you know, go find X number of books to, uh, you know, write your paper. And, and so for me, I have the memory of like just sifting through, um, you know, the shelves and saying, what can I pick mm -hmm. out of books that would make sense for this? So that's it for me. It's interesting because I wish uh, I wish I could get some younger, uh, like I'm talking like six year olds, maybe Abby's age, and how they kind of look at uh, the library because it's much different now. It's it's a lot of digital based mm -hmm. stuff, whereas like the internet barely existed if, if at all when I was uh, frequenting the library, and I still do, but not to the extent of uh, what I would when I was uh, younger. But would you believe that behind the scenes there's a lot of contention, a lot of stress, a lot of hair pulling uh, between the publishers, between the third parties, and between the libraries uh, and how they're having access to all the digital books? So it's it's kind of interesting and unfortunate, really, uh, when people like us and and um, everybody around the world, I'm I'm hoping would like to use the libraries more and more, and they're making yeah. it easier, but maybe a lot more expensive. If I could wow. say that. What do you mean? So I didn't know this, but when a library purchases or is gifted print copies of books, obviously they have access to that forever, right? Until the book is destroyed or they can't repair right. it anymore. However, when it comes to digital now with the magic of the internet, uh, you know, publishers are not actually selling directly to the libraries. They're going through third parties and the third parties can charge whatever they want. Or if they do sell directly to the library, which is very, very few and far between, they're putting caps on the number of people that can borrow it, the length that they have to, to borrow it, and the length that the library actually owns and has the rights to actually lend the copy of the audiobook and the ebook. So it's interesting uh, to sort of think about, you know, the publishers are still in that let's make some money first, whereas now the authors are kind of like, whoa, we want more people to listen yeah. to our stuff or to read our stuff. Yeah. So maybe we should be doing something about this. Well, you know, Ryan, I think it comes down to, you know, and I, I get it. It's, it's that 
how do we make our buck? Whether this was coming without right. the third party in the middle, you're you're going to assume there's going to be so much that the library is going to be able to do in the way of you're taking dollars away, letting people check out this book. We're not getting anything from that. So you're going to have to replace that book every 300 customers or whatever it might be, 300 free reads is the way that they look at it. So I'm not surprised. And of course, digitally, it allows you to basically allow it to self-destruct like those records in the 70s that they talk about. And, you know, hey, once you get to the end of this, it'll self-destruct. I think it was the Mission Impossible uh, 45 that they they did that as a, as a public relations thing. But I, I so I, I get it, but we're in a world of, and, and it's nice if we are able and people are able to move to a very digital realm for their access. But it's very challenging because we are in a world where, just like that, these guys can say, you play by our rules. This is what we're doing. You get so many downloads. That's it. And well, it's exactly these libraries right. and are having to find money elsewhere to get these things. Somebody's got to pay. And, you know, it's the Libby's and the Overdrive apps that, uh, unfortunately, you know, they they have the, mm-hmm. the, the best intentions at heart, but they're charging whatever they want to to the libraries and unfortunately a lot of libraries especially in north america are are publicly funded right they're donations and and few government grants here and there so they don't have the the money uh, to kind of keep these books on the shelf so next time you're in the the libby app or the overdrive app you might not see your favorite book there anymore and that's wow. probably why because it is just timed out and now they have to kind of switch it out with with something else and it's becoming more and more uh, of a thing. And I've, I've been a part of a few different groups on Facebook uh, and people have said, Hey, where'd my book, my, my favorite book is no longer mm-hmm. available at my local public library. Uh, digitally, it's only available in print copy, but you know, the accessibility isn't there for, for me, whether I'm part of the low vision or the blind community. Right. Uh, and that's kind of where things are, are heading, but there's a few authors that have kind of put this, petition in order and it's called the thousand authors for um for digital media access and they're getting some headway here they're they're signing it on and authors are saying no we want publishers to sell direct to the library none of this third party and none of these holds where it's oh you only get it for six months or you only get it for two years let them have access for forever because they want more people to hear or to listen or to read uh to their 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 work right and I think it's well, this really is what cool we initiative. talked about a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week? We were discussing free versus, you know, and, and authors being okay saying, yeah, but it's getting my name out there. It's interesting too, Ryan, because in the days of before we had the digital access that we got, the days of the old talking books that were loaned out, I understand now there are more people included in print restricted than the right, days yeah. when CNIB distributed had volunteers read them or the American printing house for the blog, wherever or, or out in the UK. So I get that, but those books if damaged a print one had to be replaced. You buy another one to replace that book because you know, somebody ironed it or something like that or at home had an accident <laughs> with it. We in our books, if the tape broke, they spun off another copy from whomever or said, hey, this needs to be replaced and eventually got it. But because of the the methodology, these were given to libraries to use for the print restricted. There wasn't any kind of cap put on them then. It's almost now with the digital age where you're not actually having a physical replacement that has to be done, cassettes yeah. or, or DVDs or, or CDs. You're just wondering, 
Is it just simply because you can? It's an easier way to control, to count, to make it expire than before, where you waited till the disc snap or the, the cassette snapped or whatever, and people couldn't use it anymore. It's kind of a different impression. And are you really concerned about that many more print-restricted people cheating purchases? It's not even coming from that. It's that scam that that third you know party can have. I'm sorry, I shouldn't call right. it a scam. That ability to charge that the third party has. And see, and it's, it's, a, it's kind of you're darned if you do, darned if you don't, right? Because the, the accessibility, the technology is great and it keeps advancing, but it also makes things easier from the publisher to put these caps and to put these little red tape things behind the scenes on mm -hmm. their media and say, oh, okay, you have it in this app for six months and then it's gone. And it, it's Ryan, not like they physically have to go and remove the 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 tapes, right? Well, what what would you say if if and again, I don't know a lot about this in the sense of because it's been a while. I I do most of my reading from Sila, and I don't ever think of oh gee, who can I forward this to? Continuing the chain of depriving the author, the yeah. publisher of the money. I don't think in that way. I'm not even sure I would know how or can I do it. I just assume. You can't right. do that. Yeah. Now in this digital age, the same thing can happen where, no, we'll put a stop. You're not getting a chance to do that, Kelly. So I then shake my head and say, so why would we worry about said cap? It's not like these people can copyright, uh, copyright it, you know, make their own copy and keep it. I, I no, believe and, and these who wants still to, expire. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, and really who wants to, like, yeah. you want a CD copy of the book when you have a digital download on your phone in your pocket? Like, I don't see the need, right? And it's it's interesting no. uh, from that vantage point. And, you know, you're talking about forwarding it. And now it's just word of mouth. It's like, Ryan reads the book and he's like, Kelly, I love this book. You should check it out. I think you would really like it. And then there you go. There's another reader, right? Because you're probably yeah. going to at least check it out. And you're not and forwarding it to me. You're saying, man, go buy it from right. Audible like I did or go borrow it from Sela like borrow, I did. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and when, that's what I think they're missing out on. I and too. when situations like this, like it, it's a monopoly, you know, like it's it's this is the third party, like we were talking about earlier. Nobody can say, you know, this is this is what I'm going to charge. No one's going to say, okay. They might look at it and go, well, that's expensive, but no one's no one's really there stopping them saying, well, you right. can't do that. And until that happens, it's it's not going to change, and that's just the way you know, things are, and, and it's unfortunate. And that's just the way it is. Rye, thanks so I much. I think it could be oh, so different. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It could be different for sure. Great stuff as always, Ryan. We really appreciate it. And uh, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much, guys. And keep tuning in because we got some great authors and narrators coming on to visit us in the coming months. So we'll see you there. We look forward to it. That's Ryan Huey who is in charge of the Chatty Bookshop every Friday at this time. Just gets you frustrated, you know, when you when you discover the mechanism in which to control or to profit from, and, and, and you just stop and say, okay, I understand. Don't be handing it for free. But we'll step aside for a moment. Grant Hardy will return with us. Let's revisit and weigh in on conversations from the past week. It's Cut for Time in a moment. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
Always want to remind you to check out the Kelly and Rumya podcast available to you. You just use your favorite podcatcher. Got lots of great content where you can check out the show and just settle back and listen at your leisure while you're in there. Maybe give us a rating and review. Of course, I'm setting you up for something, folks, because we're now going to talk a little bit about some of the things uh, that, that have gone on here on the program this week and expand a bit. We call this segment Cut for Time. We've invited Grant Hardy back. Brock, of course, still with me here on the show. And really what happens is we get into talking about the things we might have wanted to comment on if we'd had time to do so. But, of course, our guests are our stars and we step aside, make sure they get their words in. And this is an opportunity for any expanding on those comments they make that each of us might want to have. So I'm going to turn things over to Brock, who leads us in our first uh, item of interest. Well, on Monday's show, Grant Hardy joined us to talk about an emergency system being put in place in BC. Here, he, here he is explaining how it will work. You know, it's not a question of if, but when we have the next mm. big earthquake. And so one thing that uh, is happening, and it should be active in BC by 2024, is this new warning system. It's going to be a combination of sensors in the ground uh, and in buildings in coastal communities, as well as throughout the lower mainland, uh, which is going to be giving people minutes or possibly seconds of warning. That's really the best you can do. Uh, but yeah. it's going to be good because it's going to assist, uh, firstly, anything infrastructure related, like turning off gas lines or closing down bridges so that you're not driving across a bridge, but also just for people like you and me, giving us the opportunity to, uh, you know, shelter in place or leave dangerous areas, just, just find uh, an, an area to shelter. I get very, very nervous over emergency systems. And it, this topic hit me uh, close to home for a couple of reasons. The first one is back in 1995 and 1996, when I was four and five years old, uh, my family and I experienced three house fires. And um, the first one uh, was a mistake uh, by my father. Uh, the last two were due to, um, the last one was due to electrical issues with the fire not necessarily being put out uh, properly by the fire department. And on the third fire in the house, it was the first day of school in uh, September, and uh, my whole family came out uh, to wish me off to kindergarten and... Uh, it was fine and everything was well. And as the bus driver pulled up, she turned around and she said, your house is on fire. And our house was on fire and it went up in flames very quickly. And I never knew a day before then. And since then, when my entire family uh, came out and uh, greeted me off to school. And so these warning systems are very good. The second quick story that I have for you about fires and warning systems is when I was in school, in high school, uh, and the fire alarm would go off, uh, we would have to stay in the stairwell if we were in a wheelchair and wait for the fire department to come and give us the coast is clear. Well, in this case, uh, the kids were coming down the stairwell and they would say, oh, they would be all panicked and they'd be all upset. And remember, I'm also visually impaired. 
So they'd be all upset and uh, they'd be all worried. And as as they were going down the stairs, uh, someone said, the fire's over there. And I turned and the fire was about three feet away from where I was. Was there anybody with me? Nope, because the educational assistant said, oh, I'll uh, be downstairs and I'll let someone know that you're up here. Did they? Yes. And the only reason they did was because the kids let someone know. So two situations in my life were very, very scary, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a lot to take in, Brock. I, I, I can't fathom the situation at the school. I can't fathom these. It's it's beyond. I know as a kid, I was always curious of warning systems, especially with tornadoes. Being in southwestern Ontario, we knew how voluntary we were for bad weather. And I remember being a little kid saying to my father, hey, can we find the air raid siren? And at that time, after wars, that's what was used if in the case of a disaster. Only to come to find out, as I started to get into my teenage years, these cities didn't have it. They had removed them. Not until we had our alert systems, and again, I won't say every city, I'll go rephrase that, but most of these cities didn't have any way of you knowing until we had the alert system a few years ago uh, that gives us our amber calls and and tornado warnings, which uh, I've had the experience of having it go off and saying tornado, take cover, which we darn well need, Grant. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I'm just going to say that uh, to your stories, Brock, that you mentioned, which are really uh, incredible, and I didn't didn't know that about you, but can't even imagine what that would be like. But, you know, what I will say is that emergency prep for people with disabilities is something that seems like it's just been swept under the rug. Like, mm. I don't want to say emergency prep is down to a science, but most people kind of know what to do in, in a fire. You know, there's maybe the sprinkler system, there's the smoke alarm, you all, you know, run outside, you go to a specific meeting spot, yada, yada. But for people with disabilities, it, it there there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff that's not really absolute. And I think that people are still working out. And that's really scary, especially because uh, just having that sense of control, I think is, and preparation is so important. And that's one thing that people often lack. But also, dare I say it, a lot of my friends, you know, with disabilities live in places, maybe older places or places where just more stuff tends to happen. And you already have this under preparedness for emergencies that can be really, uh, really intense and, and really scary. So I think it's good to open that dialogue and keep talking about this more. Do we want to go to your item, Kelly? Oh, uh, uh, sure, Grant. Uh, I thought we were going to cover your David oh, Johnson. Oh, we can do that. that I just, to... I just, yeah, go ahead. No, we're a little, no, little tight ahead. for time here. Okay. Oh, no, so... we're good. You go ahead. Okay. All right. Uh, so on Tuesday, uh, we spoke with, well, you guys actually spoke with para-athlete and runner David Johnson, who did a uh, documentary about his efforts uh, that he actually created and edited himself. Here he is talking a little bit about some of that content. Yeah, well, that's what I, I wanted this project, everyone to be able to experience and, and get something out of it. People with, with no vision, people with little vision, and people uh, that 
just maybe don't even like sport or, or love sport. And mm. I wanted everyone to be interested. So that yeah. was, that was a little bit challenging. Um, the, mm-hmm. the project itself doesn't have a video description. I, I thought about doing it, but uh, I watched it myself and I had some of my other friends with, with lower vision than, than myself watch it. And they found that they could get pretty much everything out of it. It, it is a documentary kind of, Right. Vibe. Yep. So it has me narrating it and you yep. kind of can get the full picture. I feel like with, with your eyes closed or, or eyes open. Yeah, this, this, this guy is a real star. I've wanted to get him on the program uh, for a while. He's just really, really like modest and, and really chill. Uh, but also is an incredible athlete. And uh, what I really love is people, uh, like him that are able to you know increase the representation of not only people with disabilities on screen and in sports we know all about that but also behind the scenes as well in front of the camera or sorry behind the camera and uh you know behind this sort of video editing audio editing software, what have you, like that is an area that can be really lacking. And so I think it's really cool that uh, he was able to do that. What do you think, Brock? Yeah, it's um, it's it's a challenge uh, to be an athlete and you get those, those rewarding times, you get those tough times. And so it's really cool to kind of highlight stories and, and show the the good in athletes because there is a lot out there, but it is um, a a tough job. And and I think that this was well uh, depicted in the, um, in the clip. Cal. Well, you know, it's interesting too, because sometimes what you tend to have are former athletes retired, maybe from or something like that, who go into broadcasting that, that happens. I've heard it. Brock, you've heard of that. Um, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to us being at, getting in that catbird seat and experiencing what he's working on now and is behind the scenes and the things that aren't just the athletic endeavors, the putting together the document, a uh, document, documentary, the utilization and coordinating with others to work together. And plus, we heard he's also on Mary Mammolini's cooking confession podcast people can go check out that avenue and link that up to as as we were saying yesterday on the show uh food and its importance when it comes to athletes but i think that that's the stark reality so many people we all have other things we're doing we're working on we're interested in and i think that that's really really cool and uh, i think it's going to be very interesting this documentary and and what he goes on to moving forward on Wednesday, we had our financial chat, folks, with Ryan Shin. This month, he dove into credit cards and some of the pros associated with them. The the beauty part about you know a credit card for those with li- those of us with limited vision is you know sometimes we can just tap. We don't have to try to see that money. Figure out you know is this a ten or a twenty or am I actually handing over right. a fifty? You know I'm not yeah. a high roller like you, Kel, but you know, <laughs> I know I know. But you will do what you can, Ryan. 
<laughs> but uh, but I mean, I'll tell you something. You know what's great about a credit card is they're great ways to track your budget, track your spending. They catalog everything you spend. They they they're very good at at sort of keeping yourself in check. So I've always for years terrified of bothering with a credit card. Worried, especially when I was on disability, of overextending myself. Um, dreadful fear. My family, my parents, who had had a rough time as well, uh, being co-signers uh, and left holding the bag. So I have had a lot of experience to where I've said, okay, I'm going to be worried about this. When I was on disability, got myself very deep into the overdraft. When I got my credit card, finally, I did get deeper. And, and I've been able to, to navigate out of that. Not because I'd overspend. Ryan talked about the pros and when you need to utilize it, when you, you know, maybe you have to buy something on, on credit because you need it. And there are so many positive things that come from that. Yeah, you build a good, you know, if you can make your payments, it, it helps you build that. And I know that was my dad's reason in pushing me to get a credit card when I was a kid for down the road, that establishing your line of credit and the importance of that. So I totally very much believed in that, but I did tend to lean a little more to the negatives, to the things to be concerned about, the things that scared me about getting out of hand with it. And that was kind of what I was most afraid of uh, in dealing with having a credit card. Um, I really love this. I think it's important to talk about those negative things. Yes. And I'm glad Ryan touches on that later in the segment. You could check that out. But I like also that we explored pros. Of, about it because that is there for a reason to help and it's one of those things in life and we can see so many different things that if you over abuse it it can get you in trouble if you utilize something the right way it can help you for sure brock yes and i think um ryan really did um uh you know depict it really well i uh, had uh, had to get a credit card early on in my life talking about being an athlete because they would put, you know, the hotel in your name mm -hmm. and they you would cover the, the card. They would cover the room, but any incidentals, you had to put a, a credit card down. So I yeah. had a credit card and that was the reason I had it. And, you know, I've been in some good times and some bad and, and it's just managing that. But sometimes it's tough because the easy answer is, oh, I'll pay that off another time. It's no big deal. And it ends up becoming a big deal. How about a line of credit, Grant? Do you have anything like that? I know for me, um, it was always hard. You, you needed something to, to actually be able to put down like a house or something that they could, okay, we'll let you borrow, but because we know if you default, we'll get that house. Uh, I never yeah. had that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely if you're looking for a loan, if you're looking for money to borrow, a credit card is definitely not the best idea. It's better to have an actual line of credit through a bank that you trust. Uh, but I just wanted to mention the single advantage of a credit card that I love, which is if something happens to your card, if someone abuses you rips you off, you lose your card, you get an unauthorized charge on there. The credit card companies are often really good about reversing that. I mean, if you used a debit card or cash, right. you know, you'd have yes. to sue the person, but meanwhile, you're out <laughs> that money. Whereas a, a credit card, it really offers that protection. So I think as long as credit cards are used uh, correctly, properly, and you don't get into debt, uh, it's 
great. I mean, unfortunately, now we have a, a disadvantage where businesses can actually charge you an additional fee for using your credit mm -hmm. card. So yeah. worth checking that, but lots of advantages. Do you, Grant, Brock, tend to use your, your wallet or whatever more, the electronic version with your credit or debit? Because I know that was one of the things I first thought about. It's nice not to carry the money. And also, if you use a credit card, I'm told to, in a lot of cases, you buy something, it helps with the warranty or, or you know, that, yeah. that trail of purchase. Um, Grant, do you, do you tend to use the wallet electronic now or still stick to the plastic? I use e-payments like 99.9% .9 of the time, unless I'm not allowed to. I always just have my phone. I always use uh, Apple Pay. It gives me a nice little like receipt history, accessible receipt history. You don't even have to pull out your wallet at all. It's absolutely fantastic. Mr. Richardson? I find myself needing to pull out the debit card because if I use my wallet, to me, it feels like a credit card in my phone. You know, it's like beep, beep, beep. And then you look at your bank account and you're like, wait, where did that money go? To me, <laughs> I think I think it's physically taking it out and going, do you really need to make this purchase? And if the answer is oh, yes, then you, then you have to punch in your code. And it, it just, yeah, there's more steps to hold you accountable. Just don't keep enough money in there so you can't buy anything anyway. <laughs> Grant, we'll oh, talk to you next week. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> and Brock, I would have loved to have known. I'm sure he was going to agree with that solution. <laughs> Brock and I will be back shortly, folks. Wrap up the program, tell you a little bit about what's going on in AMI TV and AMI Audio over the weekend. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. you a little bit about what you can go back and find via the podcast in the last segment. Now, let's talk a little bit about today's show. Brock, as our uh, sit-in, fill-in co-host today, any segment you want to give a shout to? Um, yeah, I really liked uh, Susan Kearney's gardening segment. We were talking about armchair gardening. I hadn't the slightest clue what that was when we came in to do this, when I thought of armchair you know, I'm thinking of armchair general manager in the sports terms, which is <laughs> sort of the same kind of thing because you sit in your armchair and you say, well, you know, this is what I would have done if I was in their shoes. And so similar, but really great conversation and really informative from a guy who doesn't have a green thumb. I loved our chat with Ryan Huey today. Um, again, Ryan, over the last few weeks, has really fired us up with different topics, different things going on. And it's a good thing. As much as some of them are alarming, concerning, where we stop and say, well, hold on, how will that change? The reality is the book world, uh, audio book world is really going to change. It's really become something. It's very special, and we're very lucky where it's at. Um, if we could have had this much success 30 years ago with the popularity of audiobooks, everything would have been available by now that was was published, and that would be a great thing. But we're we're... we're I can't say catching up. 
slowly but surely, and they say that wins the race. But we do have to speak up, do have to see the world of authors and everything change. Check that out via the uh, podcast. You can subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Now, folks, this weekend on uh, AMI-audio, don't miss a second of AMI's original podcast. You can listen to Podcast Roundup on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Each episode of uh, Podcast Roundup features host Jacob Shymansky and Nazreen Abdel-Majid as they spotlight new original AMI podcast, AMI audio podcast. That's Podcast Roundup, Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. This Sunday, Kelly, on AMI-tv, catch Political Blind Date. The episode is titled Clean Water. Karen Weaver, the mayor of Flint, Michigan, and Mitch Tulin, the mayor of Huron Kinlos, Ontario, explore the ways on how to ensure that the over 40 million Americans have access to clean water around the Great Lakes. And examining this will be so great. And I'm really looking forward to uh, listening to this and watching this as well. And again, you can catch this at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. He's Brock Richardson out in Kitchener, Ontario, joining us as co-host for the last few days. Brock, uh, threw you right into the deep end. Thank you so much. I hope it's been fun. It has been really fun. And the, the, the funny thing is, is I had a plan of, you know, coming in and investigating the studio and seeing what that would be like before I got to be thrown into the deep end and, here we are, and I couldn't be happier uh, having done this and having gotten through three days and really enjoyed myself. And once again, and still holds the form, we learn something every single day. Yeah, very much so, Brock. It's what it's all about, uh, whether we're listening to our contributors, whether we're experiencing something new like you you have this week in, in uh, co-hosting on the program. It's been absolutely wonderful. All right, folks, on Monday, we're going to inform you about a blind hockey event for the whole family coming up in B.C. Committee reporter Carol Yapel will give us the details on that. And I will return on Monday with a sports update. We're going to talk about John Herdman returning as coach for Soccer Canada. Is this the right decision or the wrong one? I will let you in on my thoughts. He has done so much, that guy. So that's really tremendous. Looking forward to that conversation. And Brock, it's getting close to pitchers and catchers reporting. So I'm looking forward to our talks there. Looking forward to all the conversations, ladies and gentlemen, that we have on the program. Hopefully you'll join us Monday, beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Have a fantastic weekend and do me a favor. Get out of here, will ya? Hosts, Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amuthan. Reporter, Grant Hardy. Senior show producer, Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Graphics, Andrew Antonello. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Control room operators, Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Director, Irene Solomon. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Director of TV production, Kara Nye. Vice President, Content Development and Production, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc.
Hey guys, it's uh, Brock Richardson who has been co-hosting uh, Kelly and Ramia alongside Kelly McDonald for the last number of days. And it's funny, I was asked uh, publicly uh, to do today's vanity card on yesterday's show. And I didn't take long to think about what I wanted to talk to you guys about. And that is how we were talking about placements over the last couple of days and the importance of, you know, apprenticeship programs and those things. And one of the things that came to mind, which I didn't get a chance to say in as much detail as I wanted to, was the fact that I went to an employment place uh, here in the GTA for individuals who have uh, various disabilities, and the role was that they would uh, place them into jobs. And Greg David was talking about it being very hands-on, these roles, especially here at AMI. And in that role, I would be forever grateful because I was um, able to go to their meetings, able to place people in jobs, able to, you know, really get on the ground. And I have a situation of a client we got, and this client was a very challenging client. And he would call every day, do you have a job for me today? Do you have a job for me today? What about now? What about now? I mean, I would finish on a, on a Friday uh, of any given week and I'd come back on a Monday and he would uh, invariably have about three voicemails on my phone uh, at work. And um, eventually uh, my supervisor said to me, you know what, if you place this guy a job and find him a job, I will get you lunch and we'll go out for lunch and we'll have a, have a lunch and that will be sort of your end project for co-op and placement and all that. And I'm happy to say uh, after about three months of effort, I found him a job at a water softener company. And uh, he worked there for quite a number of years after I had left. And, and I am very proud to say that I did place him and many other people after that. But if it wasn't for the hands-on ability that I was given to, to do these jobs, including the one here at AMI, uh, when I started coming right out of school, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm very appreciative of the opportunities that I have had over the years. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.